things feel different today. They feel different tonight. And I've been doing this for a year and a half, coming in here on a nightly basis, talking about the news of the day, pontificating, commenting, offering my opinion. And I'll admit, you know, you do something like this on a routine basis. You do it day after day. Eventually, occasionally, it becomes routine. It becomes automatic. There have been days where where I've come in and I'll, I'll admit I've phoned it in from time to time. It does occur. But I've never felt quite like I do tonight in terms of the importance of what it is that we do here and the importance of what it is that you hear on this station around the clock, the importance of having alternative media that offers a perspective that differs and diverges and gives an alternative opinion to what you're hearing in the mainstream, to what you're hearing, to what you're reading in the newspaper, to what you're seeing on most of your social media feeds, because we need to ask some important questions about the future of this country and the future of our culture going forward. This is a pivotal moment. It's pivotal. Something has changed. Now, it's an open question as to what that is. It's an open question as to what has changed and what direction we're going to go from here. But we are at a pivot point, and we are not going to be the same. One way or the other, things are either going to get better or they're going to get worse in this country and in our culture in a lasting, meaningful, consequential way. And it is all directly tied to and indicated by this situation with the confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court, President Donald Trump's nominee. I have to tell you, you know, there's there's never been a point. I, I've never... I've never asked people to listen to the whole two hours. I mean, I know how it is, right? You know, you, you tune into radio, you tune out of radio, you're going along, doing your thing. And, and this is sometimes just, you know, on in the background, perhaps an afterthought. But I'm going to ask you tonight, listen to the whole two hours. And if you can't do it right now, do a search for closing argument in your iHeartRadio app later on when it is convenient, when you're driving around. And listen to the whole two hours tonight, because we're going to talk about some things that are extraordinarily important in terms of this pivotal moment that we find ourselves in. Closing argument is the name of the program. My name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, 651-989-5855 is the number to join us. Brianne is sitting in for Brad, and she's taking your calls and producing the show. So to set the stage for our conversation tonight. You may have missed this. There was an editorial cartoon coming out of the Illinois Times. And, you know, it's it's difficult to describe. It's a it's a drawing of a little girl kneeling at her bed at night before she goes to bed. And the caption is Kavanaugh's daughter says another prayer. And in the dialogue balloon, this is what she's saying. Dear God, forgive my angry, lying, alcoholic father for sexually assaulting Dr. Ford. That's an editorial cartoon at a mainstream newspaper. This is where we're at. Now, if that makes you angry, I'll tell you what. When I talk about a pivotal moment, I've gotten pretty good over the last year and a half 
I've gotten pretty decent at turning this off when I go home, at unplugging on the weekends, at not paying attention to the news, and just it, it de- detaching and enjoying my life. I think as healthy people should, detaching from the news and enjoying myself. I could not do that this weekend. I carried last week home with me this weekend. And I suspect that many of you find yourselves in the same boat where there's a level of of anger and frustration and righteous indignation, truly righteous indignation that is perhaps not unprecedented, but certainly remarkable and definitive of the moment we find ourselves in. And it's it's got me to the point, you know, when I talk about a pivotal moment, it's pivotal, but obviously in the macro sense in terms of where the culture's at and where our party's at and, and where the country is at. But it's pivotal for me personally in that I am pivoting. I am turning in a different direction very specifically if I had, and we're, by the way, we're live streaming tonight as well. This is going to be a new thing that we're doing. We're going to live stream the, at least the first segment of the program each night on Facebook Live. So go on Facebook, search for Closing Argument with Walter Hudson. Make sure you uh, go ahead and like the page and set your notifications so that you're notified whenever we post something. I wanted to come in tonight with a MAGA hat and put it on for the live stream. Wasn't able to find one. I, I came up with the idea too late in the day searched around, asked some friends, wasn't able to find a place to get it, but it's coming and I will put it on. I am now full blown MAGA. I am now full blown in support. I'm back on the train. I'm back in the boat, whatever metaphor you want to come up with. And this is where the Democrats have driven me to because, and we're we're going to go into more detail on this as we go throughout the show tonight, but there's a, my principles have not changed. My beliefs have not changed. You know, my, my differences with Trump on policy and approach and demeanor and what have you have not changed, but the context has changed. The context has changed radically. And what I realized today, what I realized now, what I realized last week at the end of the week as I was watching these hearings, what I've realized is that we are at war. Now, I know for a lot of you, there's probably a lot of you listening right now who are like, duh, Walter, like that. Why do you think we voted for Donald Trump? Right? Like, I'm, I get it. I'm, I'm coming to this much later than most of you are. But I've come to it. Right? You'll forgive me for my prolonged deliberation. Right? I realize now that we are, we are not, and, this, and we're going to get into talking about Jeff Flake later on here. Jeff Flake has not realized this, clearly. Right? <laughs> he's, he's still trying to figure it out. But we've gotten to a point where it's no longer a good faith consideration of what the best public policy moving forward ought to be. It's no longer a a good faith deliberation, consideration of evidence and facts and, you know, What's the best thing for the country? And all oh, reasonable people can disagree. And, you know, oh, my left-wing friends, you know, we disagree on this, that, and the other thing. But they're decent people. They're good folks who believe in good things overall. And we just have these minor quibbles that we can work out through the deliberative process. That's not the situation we find ourselves in. We find ourselves in a situation where war is upon us, whether we risk it or not. Now, yes, that is a line from a movie. <laughs> That's a line from Lord of the Rings, Aragon, 
talking to King Theoden, who's in denial about the fact that the hordes are coming. But it's apropos. War is upon us, whether we risk it or not. War has been declared against us by the left. And we have we can respond in one of two ways. We can either ignore it and get rickrolled, or we can engage. We can defend ourselves. And the pivotal moment, the, the pinnacle of the pivot, the pivot point, if you will, was last Thursday when Brett Kavanaugh took his seat in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee and he looked his accusers in the eye and he gave them what for. He effectively told them to go to hell. And he did it with justified righteous indignation. And half the world cheered. Half the country cheered. There was newfound... This guy put a pulse into Lindsey Graham and Chuck Grassley. Like, I didn't even know it was possible for those guys to get animated. I didn't know Lindsey Graham could could stand up that quickly, right? Could rattle himself. Chuck Grassley sounded like a preacher on Sunday morning, which is out of character. But it's it's because Brett Kavanaugh, and this is a trigger warning for, for those of you who don't like gender-specific language, Brett Kavanaugh is a leader of men. Brett Kavanaugh is an inspiration. Brett Kavanaugh is someone who is willing to fight for what is right, for what he knows is correct morally. And he took a moral stand on Thursday. And the, the most beautiful thing, you know, we did have a podcast. You can go listen to it. Again, look up Closing Argument in your iHeartRadio app. Because we were off the air on Thursday, we got preempted for sports, and we weren't here on Friday. So this is really the first live show we've done since the hearing. And I made the point on Thursday in the podcast that Brett Kavanaugh's brilliance when in his opening statement was that he didn't waste time getting straight into the allegations. Like he did very quickly get into the allegations and why they're ridiculous, why they're uncorroborated, why we should not believe them, why they're not credible at all. He got into all of that, but that's not where he started. He started on a more important point. And it's a point we're going to focus on quite a bit tonight. He started by establishing the fact that the context in which all of this is happening is one where the Democrats decided a long time ago that they were never going to proceed in good faith when it came to his nomination. And they made this decision before it was his nomination, right? It was as soon as Anthony Kennedy announced his retirement, they decided that they were going to do whatever it took to stop Donald Trump's pick, whoever it was, right? It didn't, yeah, it didn't matter. It didn't matter who he picked. They had to stop him. In fact, you know, this over the weekend, there's this podcast, Wrong About Everything. It's two Republicans, two Democrats here in Minnesota. They get together every week and they talk about the news of the week. I guested on this podcast over the weekend. And one of the Democrats is Javier Murillo, who's an SEIU guy, uh, former Democratic National Committeeman, big muckety muck on the DFL. And he had a tweet that I threw back in his face on this show, a tweet from June 27th of this year, right around the time that Anthony Kennedy announced his retirement. This is the tweet. No new justice or no peace. Now, that's pretty absolute. 
No new justice or no peace. Democrats, you got rolled on Merrick Garland. If you can't throw down now, we don't deserve to exist as a party. And then the hashtag is no new justice. Now, that's not that doesn't have anything to do with Brett Kavanaugh. Nobody even knew who Brett Kavanaugh was on June 27th, right? This this has nothing to do with the specifics of who is being appointed. He's saying on June 27th, long before President Trump announced who his nominee was, that whoever it is isn't going to get confirmed. And he wasn't alone in that thought process. This was a conviction held by his party, by the same Senate Democrats who were sitting on that Judiciary Committee. So how can you say with any sense of legitimacy whatsoever that you're genuinely concerned about the process of how this guy is vetted? That you, in good faith, you're asking for further investigation into these allegations because you really want to know whether or not they're true. Obviously, they don't. Obviously, they're lying, right? Now, when I made this point on Wrong About Everything over the weekend, it was very curious because what what Javier pivoted to and what many other Democrats and lefties have been pivoting to whenever you raise this point of how disingenuous their entire pursuit is, is they pivot to Merrick Garland. This, this is amazing to me. They go, they, they go from the specifics of a supposedly credible sexual assault allegation to talking about Merrick Garland, the nominee for the Supreme Court by Barack Obama, who was not given a hearing by Republicans in the Senate when they held the majority in Obama's last term. Now, what possible logical connection is there between Brett Kavanaugh, Christine Ford, sexual assault allegations from 37 years ago, and Merrick frickin' Garland? And the answer, obviously, is none whatsoever. There's no connection between those things. So why did he pivot in that direction? Why have we heard more about Merrick Garland in the last 48 hours from Democrats than we've heard from them on Christine Ford? And the answer is obvious, because this is about Merrick Garland. This is about getting partisan political revenge. And listen, we can spend some time, and maybe we will when we come back from the break, talking about the merits of what the Republicans did with Merrick Garland, but here's one thing that's absolutely indisputably true. With Merrick Garland, the Senate Republicans were up front and had their cards on the table in terms of what their motivation was. They said openly, we want to wait until the election so that the people can decide how this process is going to move forward. Democrats, on the other hand, are trying unsuccessfully to keep their motivation under the rug and pretending as though they give credence to these ridiculous allegations of sexual assault. That is vile. That is evil. That is unforgivable. And it's indicative of the fact that they've declared war against all that is good in this country and they need to be defeated. And that's what we're going to do. 651-989-5855. Closing argument. My name's Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. com. Hey, it's Drew from Just... Talking about the pivotal moment we find ourselves in during this Kavanaugh drama that's taking place, the quest to confirm President Trump's nominee to the Supreme Court. 
Brett Kavanaugh, of course, under withering assault from multiple allegations of sexual misconduct, none of which have been in the least bit corroborated or substantiated, none of which can legitimately be described as credible by any rational analysis. And we're going to get into the details of that as we move forward tonight. And it's it's all indicative of the fact, you know, because it's all taking place in the context where the the left and this is the brilliance of Brett Kavanaugh. The left declared at the outset, the Democrats declared at the outset, and by outset, I mean when Anthony Kennedy retired, before Kavanaugh was even nominated, they declared that they were going to oppose with everything they had within them, with all their capacity, no holds barred, they were going to oppose whoever Donald Trump put forward. And in that context, they are pretending to care about the victims of sexual assault, you know, uh, need lest we forget about Karen Monahan, who's currently struggling to get attention for her allegations against Keith Ellison. Lest we forget Juanita Broderick, who showed up to the Kavanaugh hearings last Thursday asking, what about me? How come nobody cares about my story? How come I'm not a woman who's believed? Right. So they pretend to care about victims when in actuality, they only care about the utility that victims' narratives can provide to their political ends. And there's a word for that. It's called vile. There's another word, reprehensible. There's another word. It's called evil. This is where we find ourselves, and it's all happening in context. And the brilliance of Brett Kavanaugh was he started off his opening statement on Thursday calling that out, calling shenanigans, saying, I will not pretend, I am not going to allow you to pretend like this is a legitimate proceeding. I am not going to allow you to pretend as though you're legitimately interested in the facts because you're obviously not. You've said you're not. You have stated your bias at the outset. Let me go on this aside for a second. As a, as a city official, as a municipal leader, I am bound by something, and all, all of your city council members, your county board members, your school board members are bound by this thing in Minnesota known as the Open Meetings Law. Now, the Open Meetings Law has a number of provisions. One of them is, more or less, and I'm, you know, I'm paraphrasing for the sake of brevity, that you cannot make up your mind about something before you, it has been deliberated and presented in a public meeting. And there are cases where the evidence has been presented that a council member or a school board member or somebody in a municipal position had their mind made up on an issue before it came before their body, before the, the petitioners had a chance to make their case. And they have gotten in trouble. They have suffered penalties. In some cases, they've been removed because that is against the law in the state of Minnesota. Now, I like this concept. I think this is a good idea. The notion that we expect out of our civil servants that they give a hearing to the people who are bringing their case before they make up their mind. I wish we had something similar to it at the state and federal level. But that was not the case with these senators in the Senate Judiciary Committee. They came into that room. Indeed, they came into the entire process from months earlier, weeks earlier, with their minds made up not only how they were going to vote, but where they were going to stop in terms of opposing whoever Trump put up and where they were going to stop is nowhere, nowhere, no holds barred. And so all of that adds up to the conclusion that we are well and truly at war. We're at war because the consequences 
of allowing this to move forward. The consequences of allowing the process to be degraded to this point where a man like Brett Kavanaugh can find himself subject to not only having his nomination derailed, but having his life destroyed, his reputation destroyed. And he went down the list, not being able to coach girls basketball, not being able to teach the law, which he loves to do, not being able to be a judge moving forward. His entire life and reputation destroyed publicly on the basis of flimsy, uncorroborated, decades-old allegations. If that's the standard that's allowed to stand, nothing we claim to care about, nothing we're fighting for is going to be sacred or going to last. Again, I say, I, I've said it and I'll continue to say it tonight. We are at a pivotal moment. We're either going to have the rule of law or we're not. We're either going to have due process or we're not. We're either going to have the presumption of innocence or we're not. And those are things, those are hills worth dying on. Each and every one of those are hills worth dying on. And I don't care if I have to put on a MAGA hat to do it. I don't care if I have to endure tariffs and questionable immigration policy and what have you. I will get on board with whatever in order to defeat the left in this moment because they must be defeated because they declared total war against us. And we have to answer in kind. 651-989-5855. Closing argument. My name is Walter Atson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, Twin Cities News Talk.com. Twin Cities. All right, let's hear from you guys. On this pivotal moment, we find ourselves in the moment of confirmation or whatever the alternative is, and the alternative is not good. The alternative is allowing to stand tactics and premises which will undo the republic. I mean, there's so much more at stake here than just who gets to sit on the Supreme Court of the United States in in uh, lieu of Anthony Kennedy. I mean, it's it's almost inconsequential who gets to be on the Supreme Court compared to what is at stake if these tactics are allowed to stand. Closing argument. My name is Walter Atson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. com and your iHeartRadio app. Two ways to stream us. 651-989-5855. Brianne in for Brad tonight, taking your calls, producing the show. Let's start with Zach in Lino Lakes. Welcome to the program. Yeah, all right. So... Let me start out with something that doesn't sound like it relates. So, um, Bojidar Marinov, a guy who I bring up quite frequently when I call in, um, he brought a fact to my attention. Um, he lived under communism for a long time, and uh, he told me about how the communist government, or he mentioned in a comment somewhere, about how the communist government, they were fine with the big institutional churches. It was those small little congregations that met in homes that they were really after. Mm-hmm. So, with this in mind, let me read a passage of Scripture that I believe applies to this issue right now. It's in Matthew 20, starting at verse 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? 
And he said to her, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? He was speaking of his death, by the way. Right. Um, he, they said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and my left hand is not mine to grant, for it is those for whom it has been prepared by my father. Then, And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called to them and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So, with these political battles we see, and these political issues we see, there's no question in my mind that these are spiritual battles. Now, but what is emphasized in this passage here? Jesus said that the Gentiles, that the, the, basically the people of the world, they try to rule over other people. And all I can see, what do you see? The Supreme Court has made bad decision after bad decision, and every state has just gone right along with it. And we just, we just assume that we're supposed to listen to, what they, listen to what they say. So, yes, it is a spiritual battle, but if we're focusing on fighting the way that they fight by focusing on federal politics mm-hmm. and Supreme Court justices, mm-hmm. we have already lost because we are fighting the same way that they are doing. Bojidar was talking about how, you know, they, the communists loved it when, uh, when there were big institutional churches with lots of, lots of uh, priests and... Institutional and authority, like yeah. Because... Why? Well, the structure itself is built for tyrants. It's right. built for people who wish to control other people, and it's easy for, for um, Satan to sabotage something that's structured in a way that he structures things. I, I take your point, remember, Zach, and I appreciate remember, you calling in. Oh, could, you, could, yep. could I finish, though? Sure. See, I've been talking about for months about how states should be ignoring tyrannical Supreme Court rulings. I say... Let's, let's look at what the New Testament is talking about. Yes, we should give honor to those who honor is due. But when push comes to shove, whenever there's a tyrant out there, who should we follow? Should we follow man or should we follow God? We should follow... I take orders from King Jesus and King Jesus alone. And if there's a Supreme Court ruling, I say I will obey God rather than man. I appreciate your call as always, Zach. And look, I... I don't disagree with Zach on the fundamentals of what he's talking about, right? In terms of the, I'm a libertarian, right? I'm for a society that's structured around the concept that our relationships shall not be governed by force. And yes, there are deep, profound institutional problems with the status quo. It's ridiculous. And we got an article in here that we'll get to later. It's ridiculous how much power the federal government has. It's ridiculous how much power the Supreme Court has. And we should do something about that. My point is, in this moment, and the reason why I call this a pivotal moment where you have to pick a side and you don't get to choose to sit out, is that you're not going to get that opportunity. 
If this stands, you're not going to get the opportunity to push for a more libertarian society. You're not going to get the opportunity to restructure the role of the Supreme Court or the, or the structure of federalism or what have to fight on the state level against the tyranny of the feds. None of that is going to be possible if the left succeeds in this moment. This is the moment. This is the time. We either beat them now, we either beat them back now and defeat them, or we're not going to have the luxury of engaging in these philosophical debates. And I say that as somebody who loves philosophical debates. Let's talk to Anne in Otsego. Welcome to the program. Hi, thank you. I really like your show, so it's a pleasure to talk with you tonight. Um, I usually think of your show as, uh, you know, trying to change hearts and minds. I didn't realize we were going to try to change some souls tonight. Uh, sorry, I can't, uh, <laughs> it happens sometimes. can't add to that. But uh, what I did want to make the point of is I remember back when Kavanaugh was nominated and even there were groups uh, kind of more on the, the right side of the political spectrum who thought that he was too much of a moderate uh, to be nominated and, and that he wasn't going to be acceptable to the right. At first I thought, you know, well, what would the left do if, they, if uh, President Trump had nominated somebody much more conservative? But, mm -hmm. you know, I think that your argument tonight goes to the point that it would not have mattered. That's right. Um, and, and then the second thing I wanted to mention was that, you know, my mom used to always say, be careful what you say about other people, because it oftentimes reveals more about you uh, than it does about them. And uh, to the Gar uh, Garrick, uh, Mar Garrick Marlin point, the, the nominee, you mm -hmm. know, so what did Republicans do to stop him? They tabled him. What, sure. are, what are the Democrats trying to do to stop, um, you know, Kavanaugh? They're engaging in complete and total character assassination. So right. uh, I agree with you. This is totally a time to fight uh, because if they are able to succeed in stopping this nomination, it really just is going to become blood in the political water to oh, yeah. circle oh, yeah. the, the left wing uh, to really just take over and have a very status government. I appreciate the call as always, Ann. And that's just it. Is the you know I I said on the podcast we did on Thursday night after the the hearings where Christine Ford and Brett Kavanaugh testified that if, if this is allowed to stand, if Brett Kavanaugh falls, now you know I'll qualify it by saying, absent any sort of revelation that comes out that substantiates anything that's been charged against him, which I don't anticipate. But if he falls based upon what we know so far, what we know to date, which is completely unsubstantiated and uncorroborated, then that's it. Like for, you're going to have a scenario whereby when a future Republican president calls up a qualified candidate for the Supreme court and says, Hey, buddy, you're on my short list to be nominated, to be the next justice on the Supreme court of the United States. That candidate is going to say, no, thank you, Mr. President, and hang up the phone. Because who would want to deal with this? That, and that is indicative of dysfunction. We, it cannot be stated. It's amazing to me, as I've engaged with lefties on social media over the weekend, over the past you know, however many hours, it's amazing to me how many of them are putting forward the premise that this is totally normal and to be expected. Well, if you're going to put yourself up for a public office, you know, you're you're fair game. You got to expect you're going to come up against some criticism. Yeah, criticism sure. Accusations of gang rape? That's a new one. That's that's popping out of nowhere, right? Like that's something that's not exactly precedented. Point me to the Supreme Court justice who's been accused of running of being the ringleader of a 1982 gang rape operation. You're not I'll wait. 
you're going to have trouble finding one, right? Like the idea that this is normal and this it's amazing because what have we been hearing from the left? One of the many things we've been hearing from them since 2016, since Donald Trump defeated Hillary Clinton, we've been hearing all about how this isn't normal. Every time Trump tweets something that's questionable and hey, I'll be the first one to say he's tweeted a lot of questionable stuff. Every time he tweets something that's questionable, you know, when he when he fired James Comey, you know, when he takes these actions and when he goes overseas and he says something to a foreign leader that is uncouth or whatever we hear from the left about how this isn't normal we we can't let this become normal well let me tell you something this isn't normal taking a guy who's who's lived on this earth for 53 years without a peep indicating any sort of misconduct or wrongdoing and in the final hours of his confirmation to throw accusations of rape and attempted rape at him he's a drunk he's a horrible human being he's evil and to try to destroy him, destroy his reputation, destroy his family, that is not normal. And it is worse by an exponential factor than anything Donald Trump has done. Anything. By a long shot. 651-989-5855. Closing argument. My name's Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. Twin Rush Limbaugh. Let's plow through your calls here in this last segment of this hour, and then we'll continue after the top of the hour break to get into the many, many different angles on this Kavanaugh moment that we find ourselves in. What I'm describing is a pivotal moment. I truly believe this is historic. We are living through history right now in terms of the direction our country is going to go, and the consequences are long-lasting and meaningful and definitive. I mean, this this moment and the its outcome defines who we are as a nation in a variety of ways, not just politically, not just culturally, but in terms of morally. Like, who are we? What are we made of? 651-989-5855. Closing argument. My name's Walter Hudson. Let's talk to Ted in Minneapolis. Thanks for holding. Hi, Walter. Hi. Hey, I was extremely upset by uh, Amy Klobuchar's behavior at the hearings. Uh, her being a former prosecutor, she should know there is absolutely no case there if the person cannot remember when it happened or where it happened. Right. And she was talking to the, the victim, or the suppo- you know, pro- supposed victim. Yeah. She was like talking to her like everything she said was just like 100% verifiably true. And um, I was wondering if you've had her opponent on yet, and her invisible opponent. Uh, I was wondering if you can get him on. We need to talk to this guy because uh, he's just nowhere to be seen. Ted, and, uh, you you you've just signed up as a uh, as a de facto producer of the show. That's a fantastic idea. I should have thought of it over the weekend. We should have Jim Newberger in here. I'll see what we can do about getting him in the next couple of days. He's invisible. So. And then um, now today, the Democrats came out with this huge list of people they want interviewed. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure a lot of those people on that list are Democratic hacks that are going to, like, uh, you know, throw out some new stuff and yeah. claim that he's, you know, Kavanaugh's a drunk, bumbling drunk. And, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. Well, the, and that's, <laughs> don't get me started. We're going to get into that later on next hour about the, the whole bumbling drunk narrative. It's amazing how puritanical Democrats have become overnight. Appreciate the call, Ted. Thanks for holding. Let's go to Ann in Woodbury, who's also been with us for quite some time. Thanks for holding. 
Yes, hi, Walter. Hi. I've been on the air before. Um, I just wanted to stipulate, too, that um, these women, the first three that went up there and said that they had that happen to them from Kavanaugh, they don't know what rape is. They don't know what, you know, somebody being molested or anything is all about. So these women had some phony faces on them, especially the blondes. And I was so sick to my stomach over it. You know, I would go to a priest and tell him, but I wouldn't be out in public making it well-known and have them like a smile on their face. And Kovacar was part of this year pushing Kavanaugh and trying to get him to admit it and trying to get him to be stupid about questioning things she had to say to him to try to get him to, you know, admit to any of them. Now, that was all wrong, too. I appreciate you calling. I appreciate you waiting to make it. I'm going to leave that comment right where it's laying. I'm just going to let it sit right there on a the table. Well, I'm going to jump in as a woman, kind of to hopefully save this moment. People are angry. Yeah. They're very upset by this. This yeah. is ridiculous. You yeah. know, and it brings up maybe things that people have experienced and you well, want to say, let's let's talk yeah, about it then. Yeah. And, and there's there's a couple of angles coming out of that 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 strike me as noteworthy. One there very much is, and I've seen, I mean, you can tell, and I, I hate to say this, and perhaps it's presumptuous, perhaps I'm wrong, but it seems as though you can tell who in your social media feed has been the victim of sexual assault based upon their reactions, because there, there definitely are uh, folks who are responding in a very kind of knee-jerk, very triggered, we'll use that word, very triggered way to the things that are happening right now, and it's totally understandable. However, the whole idea of justice, the whole idea of our justice system in Western civilization, you know, forget about just how we do it in America, under the British common law, under Western civilization going back you know, throughout history, the whole point is to divorce our consideration of justice from just such emotion. There's a reason why we don't just put an accused rapist in a room with the father of the girl he raped, right? Like, there's a reason we don't do that. There's a reason why we don't have lynch mobs anymore, or and that we've never legally allowed them. It's because that's wrong. It's wrong to have this direct connection between your emotional experience, your emotional conviction, and the administration of what you believe to be justice. Justice is something that out of necessity needs to be administrated objectively. And so that's one angle on this. And the other thing, you know, that you talk about as a woman, it's interesting to me how many women, and we got another article in the stack we'll maybe get to, we're going through the time pretty quick tonight, where there's a gal who tries to speak on behalf of all women, right? And she says, the United States hates women and she's speaking on women's behalf. Like, to be a woman is to have the position this gal came up with. And it's like, no, you don't get to do that. Nobody elected you queen of women. Nobody elected you the spokesman of one half of the planet, right? And the, the, you want to talk about patriarchy. You want to talk about you know, the, the authoritarian nature of the status quo. That's authoritarian to tell women everywhere what they ought to think and what their position ought to be. I, you know. I, I want to. I, I wish I would have squeezed Mike from Rosemont in here because he's been waiting for some time. We'll get to you right when we come back, Mike. Appreciate you holding. We'll talk to Ed in St. Paul as well. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, 651-989-5855. Much more to come on the other side of the break. TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com.
If you'll forgive me for getting a little, just a little theological here at the top of the hour, I'm not going to get quite, you know, Zach and Lionel Lakes theological. I'm not going to start quoting scripture to you, but I just want to say that I, I feel as a believer, I feel the hand of God on this moment in our country. I really do. Now, that's not to say the outcome's going to go this way or that. Who knows? You know, God's ways are mysterious. He's done more with less many times throughout history. But I, I feel as though we're at this pivot point that we've been talking about during the first hour, this point past which the definition of our nation is going to be irrevocably decided. This is a moment that is, that has been destined. This is a moment that is for us. Like you were born for this. You. You were born for this moment to take action in your sphere of influence to affect the outcome of what this country is going to be moving forward to his glory, to his end. Now, that doesn't mean that things are going to go the way we want them to go. That doesn't mean that things are going to turn out A-OK and it's going to be happily ever after. But it does mean that you're on the winning side, no matter how things turn out. And there's comfort in that. We should remember. 651-989-5855. Closing argument. My name's Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 1035 FM. Streaming at com and your Radio app. We're here 9 to 11 weeknights. Appreciate you joining us. Brianne taking your calls producing the show this evening. Let's talk to you, Mike, in Rosemont. Thank you very much for holding as long as you did. Thank you for taking my call, Walter. Um, yeah, I think any reasonable person who's followed this should justifiably be outraged and angered by what's going on here. And as I see it, and I've seen it for some time now, for many years, it's really exemplified here is the Democrats are the villains. What they're doing to this man is absolutely vile and evil. And, you know, one thing that was really remarkable about the hearing is Senator Lindsey Graham and what he had to say. I think he hit all the high notes about went on and he mentioned about you came to the wrong town at the wrong time to try to get a fair process here. Right. How would any of us feel if we were to enter a contest and the umpire or the referee kind of just right over your shoulder whispered in your ear and said, you're going to lose anyways? And that's essentially what they did when Schumer and the Democrats said, you know, we're going to do everything to stop this. Right, right. And um, <laughs> I mean, past that point, what do you do? Past that point, do you just keep playing the game as if it still matters? Well, no, I'll just end it here. One of my favorite, it's a corny movie, but it's funny to watch because you have your good and your evil, is the movie Roadhouse. And in there, if you've seen the movie, you know that Patrick Swayze comes in to clean up the mess. Mm -hmm. Basically, it's kind of a message for the Republicans, you know, you're, you be nice. You be nice. You know what? It's time not to be nice anymore. That's right. 
That's that right. That time has ended. That's right. I appreciate I'll the call, just Mike. leave it there. All right. Good place to leave it. Let's talk to Ed in St. Paul. Welcome to the program. Thanks for holding. Hi, Walter. Great show, by the Thanks. way. Um, the, before I get to the reason I called, I, I didn't want to call and, and comment on the Kavanaugh thing, but one thing that really struck me out of this was when the Democrats walked out of the committee. And that just seems to be something they do. That's right. They, they don't like the process yep. if it doesn't fall in their favor. That's right. So they, they can't, they, you know, if you, if, you, if you don't like the rules of football, don't play football. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's very it's very interesting how we had during the the earlier confirmation hearings where they were just going through the the normal process of vetting Brett Kavanaugh, you had this constant disruption from left wing protest groups that were obviously in league with the Democrats, and uh, you you had that going on and that was tolerated. During Christine Ford's testimony, they strangely disappeared. It was amazing. Suddenly, they were they were all for having an orderly. A process and giving full focus to the testimony and they started doing that for the beginning of uh, Kavanaugh's testimony as well until the Democrats lost control of the narrative at which point magically after one of the breaks they huddled up they came back in and in a coordinated fashion the Democratic senators started to talk out of order demanding adjournment of the proceeding and the protesters came in and started shouting and making noise. It's amazing. It's almost as though it was all planned and coordinated, their plan B. Well, as long as we're talking about it, the, the special prosecutor that came in, do you think that the, my feeling is that they knew they were going to have a recess after, mm-hmm. after Ford's testimony? Right. Do you think she was purposely benign so that Lindsey Graham's statement would have more weight? I don't know. I honestly, I, <laughs> I'm kind of playing a little, uh, what is it, Oxum's razor on that. The simplest explanation is likely the correct one, that they just, they didn't know what they were doing with the Christine Ford portion of the testimony. You know, that up, up to Kavanaugh's opening statement, I was judging the day as a disaster for Republicans because that whole process just did not work. So the reason I called yeah. is a comment you made about uh, Trump's tweet. Yeah, right. That uh, there, there's some cringeworthy tweets. Mm-hmm. He does it. That's what he does. And and I would like to make a comparison and get your reaction to it. Obama got elected in large part because people had an opportunity. And this was this is not a phrase I'm making up. People had an opportunity finally to vote for someone who looked like them. Sure. Yeah. Do you think Trump is popular because? People are having an opportunity to vote for someone who sounds like them. I think that, I think you're onto something. I, I think there's probably more to it than that, but you're onto something. The obvious look. There's no question, and I appreciate the call, Ed. There's no question that Donald Trump spoke to something innate in a thread of the American culture that had not otherwise been represented in either party. I mean, that's obvious. That, that's the 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 elementary observation you can make two years out retroactively looking at 2016, looking at the ascendancy of Donald Trump. Now, you know, getting into the anthropological, sociological analysis of exactly what that was and how it works, well, we'll save that for another time. But suffice it to say, Trump's obviously onto something. But I'll tell you this. It's, it's been fascinating as a political observer 
to watch how Donald Trump's popularity has not translated to other people. Like, he's been able, sure, you know, his endorsement helps in a primary election. Don't get me wrong. You know, he, he definitely can make a difference. But it's not a direct translation, right? Like, it's, it's, not, it's not as though if Trump knights some Republican congressman out there, that that congressman will then be able to go forth and engage in the same evangelism that Donald Trump, he's not making disciples, right? Like he's not creating people who then go out and do what Trump does. And I think that's because what Trump has cannot be duplicated. It can't, it cannot be taught. It cannot be duplicated. It can't, it can't even really be effectively emulated. And there have been candidates who have tried. There've been people I've watched them, people who have, changed their personality and tried to take on Trumpian characteristics and it just comes off as a fraud because that's what it is. Like you can't do that. However, with Brett Kavanaugh on Thursday, Thursday, like I say, I've been describing this as a pivot point all night long and there, and it's been a pivot point in a variety of ways. One of the ways is that Brett Kavanaugh for the first time in a, a very long time, triggered something in me, awoke something in me that I have not felt in this, the realm of politics for a very long time. Excitement. I was thrilled. I was jumping out of my chair. I was yelling at the TV. I was ecstatic to hear Brett Kavanaugh fighting back against the left, calling them out with righteous indignation from a position of moral authority, taking the moral high ground and looking down upon his inferiors with scorn and contempt. That's what we need. He was showing us the way. And I thought to myself, good Lord, I hope Republicans are watching this. I hope Republicans understand what they're seeing right now. Because here's the thing. Here, here's what Brett Kavanaugh did. Here's why what Brett Kavanaugh did worked. And don't and let's let's just get that conclusion out of the way right now. It did work. Like I say, at about two o'clock Eastern time, in between the testimony of Christine Ford and Brett Kavanaugh, if you'd have asked me then what's the outcome of this going to be, I I told you it's going to be it's a disaster. It's the end. He's not going to get confirmed. This is. A total disaster for Republicans. He turned it around. He is singularly, Brett Kavanaugh is singularly the reason why we're Ill, even still talking about the possible confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh. And the way he did it was by shining light into darkness. He shined the light of truth into the dark crevices where the roaches congregate. He showed them for what they are. He revealed them. He called them out. He had them hanging their heads in shame. And then, and then once they, once they regathered themselves, they come at him with, uh, well, uh, uh, what about your drinking? Uh, uh. And they sounded just like the feeble, transparently politically motivated, worthless bags of flesh that they are. You can do that. I can do that. Anybody can do that. Because it's not, because here's the thing. I'll get theological again for a second. 
you're not the one doing it. It's not coming from you. Truth has a divine power. When you speak the truth, it's transformative. It's revealing. It's, it, it is locomotive. It pushes lies out of the way. It creates shame in the hearts of men. Truth has a power that cannot be denied. And lies, by contrast, lies wither in the light of truth. And that's what Kavanaugh did. He brought the light. He brought the truth. And the lies of the left withered and crumbled and faded away. And all they were left with was, "Eh, uh, uh, Merrick Garland, eh, uh, uh, he drank too much. And you see it playing out this week as well. The only difference between Thursday and today is that you don't have the force that Brett Kavanaugh brought to the table on as prominent a stage fighting back against them. But that can change. It can change tomorrow. All it takes is our people, our elected officials, our Republicans to stand up and speak the truth and to do so with a sense of moral conviction and righteous indignation and contempt for evil. 651-989-5855. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, com. mentioned earlier in the program how stunned I was by the animation of Lindsey Graham and Chuck Grassley last Thursday in the Senate Judiciary confirmation hearing. You know, these two guys, geriatric fellows as they are, not exactly the most motivational of speakers, but boy, oh boy, did somebody put a quarter in them, right? Like it was, I was stunned. And I I found myself cheering in response to Lindsey Graham first time. Never thought I could like Lindsey Graham as much as I do now. First time that's happened. Never have, so. Hopefully it won't be the last. No kidding. But wow. And they were following the lead of, again, Brett Kavanaugh, and I I hate to trigger you if you're not into gender-specific terminology, Brett Kavanaugh is a leader of men. He is somebody whose moral fortitude inspires others to follow him. And that is what happened last Thursday. And it's continued with Chuck Grassley from the Daily Wire. On Saturday, Senator Chuck Grassley, chairman of the Judiciary Committee, issued a blistering response to Senator Bernie Sanders, who had apparently expressed an interest in the current supplemental FBI background investigation revolving around Justice Brett Kavanaugh. Grassley started by pointing out that on July 10. Less than 24 hours after President Trump announced he was nominating Kavanaugh for the Supreme Court, Sanders announced, quote, we must mobilize the American people to defeat Judge Kavanaugh, unquote. Grassley then noted that members of the Senate have been given access to 307 judicial opinions. Judge Kavanaugh wrote during his 12 years on the bench, over 500,000 pages of documents, over 40 hours of live testimony, and answers to more written questions than every prior Supreme Court nominee combined. Grassley repeated, 
Nevertheless, you made a decision on this nomination in less than 24 hours. Grassley blasted, your public statements clearly reveal how unimportant it is to you to review any facts related to this nomination, so you can imagine my surprise at receiving your letter regarding the supplemental FBI background investigation. Then Grassley asked the inevitable question, and he did it with relish. If Sanders had been so cocksure that Kavanaugh needed to be defeated, did the fact that he was interested in the new investigation mean he was considering changing his mind? Grassley wrote, Am I to take from your letter that you are now undecided and willing to seriously engage with the Senate's advise and consent constitutional duties related to the nomination of Judge Kavanaugh to serve as an associate justice on the Supreme Court of the United States? If so, we should have a conversation about what information you need to assist you in making your decision. And I look forward to that conversation. With sarcasm dripping from his pen, Grassley concluded, I appreciate your raising concerns which others have already raised at this 11th hour. So that, again, from Chuck Grassley. Now, if you just if you just read the letter to me and didn't tell me who wrote it, Chuck Grassley would have been, like, second to last person, I would have guessed, as the author of that. And the last would have been Lindsey Graham. <laughs> but these guys, these guys have fresh moral conviction that they've adopted in this moment. And that gives me hope. It really, truly does. There, there was an article written in The Federalist by a Tomas... Mendoza that I want to share with you in its entirety because this really from from a different perspective from the perspective of a walkaway Democrat which is to say somebody who voted for President Obama Obama in 2008 and 2012 from his perspective why this moment is motivating him to support Republicans this year and support Donald Trump in 2020 he writes when I came to the United States, I left a country that had recently undergone a military coup. My family experienced firsthand what happens when those in power abandon the rule of law. We saw the devastation that comes to a society when men of power believe their political objectives so justified that they are willing to pursue them by any means necessary. In the eyes of those men of power, we could see the deadening of souls that occurs when a man's perceived benevolence blinds him to his own tyranny. During the Kavanaugh hearings, I saw that same look in the eyes of Senate Democrats. The hearings made clear that the Democrats on the committee were not interested in pursuing the truth or respecting Christine Blasey Ford's desire for anonymity. Instead, they simply sought to delay the vote in hopes of winning the next election. If Kavanaugh's reputation and Ford's privacy had to be sacrificed on the altar of political expediency, the committee Democrats were not going to let basic decency prevent them from using the courts as an alternative path to the political ends they cannot reach through legislation. Boy, amen. I, let's read that again, because that is a key point. If Kavanaugh's reputation and Ford's privacy had to be sacrificed on the altar of political expediency, the committee Democrats were not going to let basic decency prevent them from using the courts as an alternative path to the political ends they cannot reach through legislation. You know, it's interesting. If you go back and you listen to Wrong About Everything recorded over this last weekend, I was a guest on there. And one of the Democrats that I was sitting opposite from was Javier Murillo, SEIU guy, former DFL, Democratic National Committee man. And 
one of the points that he brought up when he was going off on Merrick Garland, right? And he he asked, he he's like, no Republican has ever justified what happened with Merrick Garland. I'm like, I can. <laughs> he's like, oh yeah, how are you going to justify? It? I'm like, Republicans control the Senate. Period. End of story. Right? Like they won an election. And they get to advise and consent, and it's up to them, it's up to a majority of the Senate what that is. So, there you go. You want to change it? Win an election. And his reaction to that point was to say, well, that's indicative of the authoritarianism of the Republican Party. Now, he chose that word purposely because he knows how opposed I am to authoritarianism. You know, he's picking a nerve there. He knows I'm a libertarian. But in point of fact, it is, and this is all projection. There's been so much projection over these past few days. And you, you can point to tweets by the left and statements by the left, and, you know, Javier's was no exception, whereby they are completely projecting their own intentions, their own motives, their own modus operandi on us. When he calls me and you and Republicans everywhere, conservatives everywhere, authoritarian, he is projecting his own status. And this point made by Tomas Mendoza goes to the heart of that. Democrats are trying to affect through the courts political ends they cannot reach through legislation. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? It means that they're not able to convince you as a voter to select politicians who will in turn act to bring about the legislative ends that they want to see. And so because they can't convince you in a free society under the rule of law in free elections to go along with their agenda, they're pursuing it through the courts. They're pursuing it through judicial tyranny, through judicial activism. That is authoritarian. 651-989-5855. Closing argument. My name is Walter Atson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, com. 20. So here's a quote for you. An allegation standing alone is not necessarily sufficient to conclude that conduct occurred. Now, who do you think said that? I'll tell you. It was a man by the name of Ellingstad. He's a lawyer for the Democrats, for the DFL in this state, and he's the lawyer who was tasked with investigating allegations by Karen Monahan against former congressman, or soon-to-be former congressman, Keith Ellison. An allegation standing alone is not necessarily sufficient to conclude that conduct occurred. <laughs> now, at, I, I have to think they're just trolling. Like, they gotta be, right? Like, they, there's no possible way with anything resembling good faith or an expectation of going unnoticed or, or with a straight face that they could put this out there regarding Karen Monahan, while at the exact same time out of the other side of their mouth telling us that an accusation onto itself is totally sufficient to derail the confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh. But look, 
when you've declared total war, you don't worry about little things like consistency. You don't worry about little things like principle. Closing argument. My name is Walter Atson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130-1035 FM. Streaming at TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com and your iHeartRadio app. You can find us on Facebook. Do a search for Closing Argument with Walter Hudson. Like our page. Set your notifications to get notified when we post something. We're gonna we're starting something a little bit different. We started it tonight. We're going to be live streaming the first segment of the program, at least the first segment of the program, and any interviews or special segments that we do moving forward, try to branch out the potential listening base to a, a different path. So you can keep up with that by going on Facebook and searching for us. You can catch up on past shows by doing a search for Closing Argument in your iHeartRadio app. 651-989-5855 is the number to join us. Brianne taking those calls and producing the show this evening. Let's talk to David in Minneapolis. Welcome to the program. Hi, Walter. Hi. Um, I was wondering if you could bear... I'm, I think I know something, but I'm not sure if it's right or wrong, so I, I was wondering... If, about the Merrick Garland thing, wasn't there an agreement or something between the Republicans and the Democrats like way back when that they would confirm a Supreme Court nominee on, on the year of an election? Yeah, I haven't looked into this, but I have seen the claim made that there was some sort of tradition in the past whereby in the final year of an outgoing president's term they would defer selection of a, a new nominee to the Supreme Court until the new president was elected. Now, I have not verified that. I don't know if it's true or not. And, you know, tradition isn't necessarily something that uh, people have to be bound by going forward, but I take your point. Yeah, I'm just thinking, because I think the Democrat, they kind of agree that in a, pre in a previous nomination, mm -hmm. you know, the Democrats suggested that, and the Republicans went along with it. So the Democrats were able to get their nominee. But then when it came to Merrick Garland, the Democrats changed the rules and wanted to dominate Merrick Garland on the year of an election. Yeah. Well, so that's why the Republicans kind of right. said, no, no way, right. we, we've made a deal and all yeah. that stuff. Well, that, that's why all this righteous indignation over Merrick Garland, I appreciate the call, David. That's why all that the righteous indignation over Merrick Garland, which is what they pivot to when you push them on how partisan they're being. They're like, yeah, but Merrick Garland, Merrick Garland, Merrick Garland. Well, you guys are the reason Merrick Garland happened the way it did. Because Harry Reid was the one who invoked the nuclear option. It used to be that you needed 60 votes in the Senate, 60, a supermajority, in order to confirm a justice to the Supreme Court. That used to be the case. Now it's not. Who did that? Democrats. And the reason, the justification, the rationale for having 60 votes for confirmation of the Supreme Court was specifically to keep it from being a political decision from keeping it from being this what it is now what we see now this this knife fight in the senate over who the next supreme court justice is going to be by requiring it to be 60 votes out of necessity you have to be bipartisan out of necessity you have to pick a candidate who is palatable to at least some amongst the minority right and the democrats didn't like that because they wanted somebody more radical they wanted somebody who only they liked when they had the majority. And so they changed the rules. 
Well, you made the bed. Now you get to lay in it. The chickens come home to roost. Pick your metaphor. Now, I got to tell you, I, I've talked tonight about this being a pivot point, this moment that we find ourselves in. And I talked about how, for me personally, it's a very monumental pivot point in the sense that in 2016, I've described myself as the most prolific never Trump voice within the Republican Party of Minnesota in 2016. I was not a fan at all of candidate Trump in 2016. I've been highly critical of him for these first two years of his administration. And, you know, I've warmed to him. I've, I've had moments where I've sung his praises and moments where I've, I've been critical. But tonight, this weekend, this moment, after the Kavanaugh hearings, after, after realizing, and, and I understand, I understand I'm a little slow coming to this realization. A lot of you came to it much earlier, including two years ago. I realized this really is a war that we're in. This is not business as usual. This is not a scenario where, you know, we can just wait until the next election to figure things out, you know, to sort to sort out our message and sort out, you know, I didn't figure out how we're going to define ourselves as a party moving forward. This is existential. The left is out to destroy not only us, not only Republicans and Donald Trump, but to destroy the jurisdictional fabric, the constitutional fabric of this nation going forward. And that is it, what is at stake with this drama over Brett Kavanaugh. And so I've made the decision that I'm MAGA now. If I had the hat, I'd be wearing it. I'll get the hat soon and I'll put it on for you guys. I'll put it on the live stream. I'm, I'm on board. The, the luxury of withholding political support on account of ideological differences and policy differences is something I feel I can no longer afford. And, you know, another person who has been never Trump, another person who has been a big critic of Donald Trump is Arizona Senator Jeff Flake. And I got to tell you, as somebody who has been an admirer of Jeff Flake, as somebody who has found himself nodding in agreement with the statements that Jeff Flake has made over the past couple of years, I am bewildered and perplexed as to how it is that we currently find ourselves in a situation whereby he is single-handedly throwing a wrench in the gears of this confirmation process by insisting upon this FBI investigation that's currently underway that potentially drives a wedge in the processes of, of, of us being able to move forward with this confirmation process. And, you know, I'm being a little facetious. I do understand where he's coming from. I just don't understand how it is that he's there. I don't, I, don't, I don't get how you cannot perceive the reality of our situation. We'll talk about it when we return. 651-989-5855. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. Sean. A lot of stuff we weren't able to get to tonight, but uh, it's been it's been dense, it's been deep, it's been a broad discussion on this pivotal moment we find ourselves in, the Kavanaugh moment, the point at which we decide what we're made of as a nation, what is our moral substance, what kind of a country are we going to be, what kind of a culture are we, what do we believe in, what's going to have dominance in our processes, in our deliberations, in our culture? Is it going to be the light of truth? Or is it going to be 
the machinations of liars and frauds and charlatans. 651-989-5855. Closing argument. My name's Walter Hudson. So let's see here. What is it that I wanted to get to first? Let's let's start where we left off last segment. Senator Flake. From Reuters, something happened to U.S. Republican Senator Jeff Flake between being cornered in a Capitol elevator on Friday as two women shouted at him about sexual assault and, hours later, cutting a momentous deal with Democrats to defy President Donald Trump. Flake's shift from full-throated support for Brett Kavanaugh to demanding an FBI investigation of sexual misconduct allegations against Trump's Supreme Court nominee was seemingly swift, with Democratic Senator Chris Coons playing a key role. The outcome of the Flake-Coons deal was that Kavanaugh's path to Senate confirmation for a lifetime appointment to the nation's highest court will, at minimum, be delayed for a week as the FBI looks into the accusations made against him. The delay, which could be more consequential depending on what the FBI finds, slammed the brakes on Trump and Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell's pledge to plow right through to a quick confirmation of Kavanaugh. Flake, a 55-year-old senator from Arizona who is not running for re-election this year, sat through Thursday's nine-hour Senate Judiciary Committee hearing and testimony by Kavanaugh and the woman accusing him of assault, Christine Ford. Even then, he was noticeably quiet as both witnesses dramatically told their tales, Ford accusing Kavanaugh of assault when they were both in high school in 1982 and Kavanaugh forcefully denying any such thing ever happened. He told reporters in a Capitol hallway, just watching the hearing yesterday, the questions and then the reporting on it afterwards, it just, you know, was a sleepless night. On Friday morning, Flake announced he would vote to confirm Kavanaugh, a decision that gave his fellow Republicans the votes needed to squelch a Democratic uprising against the federal appeals court judge and pave the way for a full Senate debate. Then he headed from his office to a Judiciary Committee meeting on Capitol Hill, where a vote was planned on the nominee. Along the way, he was confronted by two angry women, Maria Gallagher and Anna Marie Archella. For five minutes, the two emotionally harangued him as he stood in the corner of an elevator, staring at the floor and looking up occasionally at them with a pained expression as they described their own experiences with sexual assault and pleaded with him not to agree to putting Kavanaugh on the court. In his remarks to reporters, he said the encounter in the elevator was only one of many in recent days. I've heard from a lot of people by phone, email, text, walking around the Capitol. It has been remarkable over the past week. Shortly afterward, Flake took his seat in the committee meeting, where Coons soon made some remarks. The Delaware Democrat, also 55, afterward told reporters in the Capitol, As I was preparing my remarks today, I at one point turned to my counsel and said, Am I trying to make an argument that could possibly persuade my friend Jeff Flake? They decided that he was. Minutes after Kuhn spoke, Flake walked over to him behind the DS in the committee room and knelt to talk to him. The two then stood and went into an anteroom where they were joined by other senators, mostly Democrats. Sometime later, Flake came back in and dropped the bombshell. He said he would stick to his promise to support Kavanaugh's nomination in the committee vote, but only under one condition that there be an FBI investigation of Ford's allegations. This country's being ripped apart here, he said. We have to be sure we do due diligence. One senior senator, aide familiar with the negotiations, attributed Flake's shift to pressure from Coons. Chris Coons just achieved what no other Democrat could, the aide said, referring to weeks of Democrat demands for an FBI probe being ignored by Republicans. Now, Politico did a live stream 
on Facebook today, wherein Jeff Flake was interviewed by one of their reporters. And he went into more detail regarding his motivation for this as to why he has thrown this wrench into the gears, why he is buying into Democratic demands. And to listen to Flake talk, look, I'm I'm willing to take the guy at his word, right? I'm, I'm willing to give the guy the benefit of the doubt that he actually means what he says and he's actually motivated by what he says he's motivated by. I have no reason to believe otherwise at this point. And the case that he's making is, you know, we, we need to, he's, let's put it this way. Let me cut to the chase. He's operating under the premise that this is business as usual, that the Democrats are actually interested in discovering information in order to facilitate a thoughtful, deliberative process to determine whether or not Brett Kavanaugh ought to be on the Supreme Court of the United States. And that's the part that is that boggles my mind. How do you not recognize at this point? How do you not? I mean, if I can recognize it, you know, a, a dumb conservative talk radio host on the night shift in Twin Cities News Talk, right, in Minneapolis, if I can figure it out from where I'm sitting, if you can figure it out where you're sitting, how can a senator from Arizona not figure it out that this is not business as usual? This is not happening in a context of good faith. There is no desire. You know, one of the things that Jeff Flake said today is he said, I don't want to politicize the court. Dude, you don't want to politicize the court. Are you kidding me? I, I, I hate to break it to you. The court's done been politicized, right? Like, that's why this is happening. There, there's another piece we didn't get to tonight, written by John Lott, who you, you'll recognize as a, a frequent guest from when uh, Jason Lewis was on the air here, and he wrote a book about uh, gun statistics. He wrote a piece about this Kavanaugh situation, and he says the reason why we find ourselves dealing with this right now is because government has too much power. Government has the ability to do way too much, and that raises the stakes to a level where it's do or die. And how do you not recognize that as a U.S. senator from Arizona is well beyond me. We're going to continue this discussion throughout the week and follow this situation closely. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. 9 to 11 weeknights, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. Thanks for listening to